Hey everybody, it's Aaron from the Aaron Meta Show. I've got some really exciting news. Craig Bartlett is going to be returning to the Aaron Meta Show on October the 7th for the Hey Arnold Anniversary Show. Yeah, that's right, it's going to be another one. And also, uh, this is the show where I take a back seat and you guys ask the questions. So if you want to email uh, Craig a question, askcraig2017 at arometa.co.uk. The email again is askcraig2017 at arometa.co.uk. You can ask him anything from uh, Hey Arnold Claymation shorts uh, to the TV series to the movie to the upcoming jungle movie no doubt you have some questions about that and maybe even the Patakis as well we'll get into a bit more so if you want to get a question in definitely email it now it's askcraig2017 at arameta.co.uk that's askcraig2017 at arameta.co.uk what are you waiting around move it football heads ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to show the whole world why I was the unscripted, uncensored, loose cannon of commentary. I'm back, baby. Broadcasting from Manchester in the United Kingdom, this is the Aaron Meta Show. This is the Aaron Messer Show. It is the 13th of August, uh, 2017. Uh, thank you very much for all of you checking out the show. Uh, if you want to uh, check us out on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Aaron Messer Show. Uh, it's also twi- at Twitter, that's Aaron Messer Show. If you want to find us on Tumblr, it's uh, tumblr.com. And also, if you want to find us here right on YouTube, it's uh, youtube.com forward slash Aaron Messer Show as well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Patricia can't be with us today, and uh, she's unfortunately had her uh, father in the hospital again. She just updated us on Twitter that uh, he's fine and that he's uh, back and he's uh, recovering. Uh, and also, uh, Josh is uh, doing some theatre work, so he's not going to be with us t- today. And so, unfortunately, some lot of short notice. Uh, but uh, I have a really special guest to join me on the show, and he's pretty much my co-host now because <laughs> uh, everyone else has uh, fallen out of the show. So uh, I would like to introduce everybody to talk about bees for the next hour or so. It is the one and only JP, the Bee Man, uh, broadcasting out of Louisiana. How are you doing, man? Doing okay. How y'all doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well. So uh, I thought one cool thing I'd like, really like to start off with because you know we pretty much got the show to ourselves uh, today. So uh, I thought I want to take you back to how you know JP the Bee Man all started. You know, well, what got you interested in uh, in bees? Well, actually, um, my background is in the pest control field, and um, I worked for a company. Uh, almost 28 years ago for about five years. And we uh, kind of did what the boss asked me to do back then. We did a little bit of, of bee removal. It was more like bee eradication, to be honest with you. And uh, real quickly learned that that was not the way to go. Um, had people calling us and describing a, a rotting, fermenting mess in their building. And the boss was like, well, see if you can go over there and placate the situation. And I was like, well, there's nothing I could think of doing, but besides opening up the wall and removing this, you know, mess. And so it was, it didn't take too long for me to realize that, uh, Hey, this is not the way to go about this for a number of reasons. And I, I told him I wasn't going to do that anymore. And so, uh, didn't. And, uh, later on I started my own company, but kept getting calls for bees and, um, you know, I didn't want to kill them. And I start uh, uh, looking into, you know, I stepped into the world, so to speak, and uh, became fascinated and kept getting these calls and uh, started keeping a, a beehives to learn more about them, their biology and so forth, so that I could uh, remove them, you know, alive and, and relocate them. I wound up purchasing a couple of Russian colonies. Yes, there's different races of honeybees uh, from uh, Vornadil, Louisiana, from a guy Believe it or not, his name was uh, Lewis Busby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I started keeping these these Russian uh, colonies. And uh, then, uh, you know, I, I made some calls and uh, nobody really wanted to tell me much and, you know, uh, how to proceed. And we wasn't in a YouTube back then. So a lot of, you know, what I learned in the beginning stages was a lot of, a lot of trial and error, a lot of, you know, learning from my, my mistakes, so to speak. And, uh, but I paid attention 
and uh, you know, did a lot of learning and um, just uh, kind of came full circle. I, I, I got on some internet forums when those became available and, and um, you know, you talk about your passions on different internet forums. And so we talked about bees and put up pictures and things like that. And I had people encouraging me to maybe video some of my work. And first I was like, well, why would somebody want to see some guy take bees out of a wall? You know, <laughs> like, oh, you'd be surprised. So oh, yeah. I had a I had a swarm call and uh, it was across the street from a school with a high chain link fence. And uh, these kids were probably, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 years old. And uh, it was a bunch of them and uh, just right across the street. And uh, the, the, the swarm was kind of low to the sidewalk and, and I could hear them, you know, with the oohs and eyes and, oh, he's touching them. And and all this stuff, and they, they got a kick, and so I walked across the street, I showed them the queen, you know, they were fascinated, and so I put the video up, and then I had people remarking and asking questions, and so uh, I said I answered their questions, and then they wanted more, and so uh, I started doing a little bit more, and a friend of mine said, well, you know, you need to maybe see what your aim is, you know, with what you're trying to achieve with these videos, you know, and I said, oh, well, you know, I never really thought about it, but you're right. You know, and I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, I want to put something out there that's not only educational, but entertaining. Cause there's a, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there that are kind of just monotone and, and, you know, they kind of a, a to Z type thing. So I, kinda, I wanted to mix it up a little bit and, you know, and, and have some fun, you know, uh, as well. And so, and I got, you know, some of my friends that helped me on some of these removals and, and we have we have a lot of fun, you know, uh, when we do this together, sharing our passions, and so that's kind of how how it evolved, you know. And and uh, actually, I bought a uh, an iMac to because uh, I heard a lot about uh, iMovie and and how uh, user friendly the program was. And uh, I'd worked so hard, you know, at, at uh, those transitions and and all this stuff. And uh, I was on the phone with uh, Apple one time and. Uh, I thanked them up and down, you know, for answering my questions. And the guy was like, well, you know, you got, you, you bought an extended warranty with this computer. And he says, you, you have Apple care for the next three years. You could call us and ask us whatever questions you want. It was like a light bulb went off, you know, I'm like, wait a second. I probably got about a dozen questions right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> so believe it or not, you know, uh, <laughs> right then and there, I, I picked up a few helpful tips and, uh, so come a long way with the whole editing thing, but uh, still doing it. You know, still get a lot of requests. You know, for the for the videos, and uh, of course we have lots and lots of bees down here in southeast Louisiana. You know, wherever you have mild winters, the honeybees seem to thrive. So uh, it seems like we have more we can shake a stick at. So and uh, you know I'm still you know removing them, and and um, you know they all go to a good home. You know, it, honestly, if I could probably be rich, to be honest with you, if, if I just eradicated the colonies. But uh, I just couldn't do it. I just, I, you know, I just couldn't sleep at night. My, my wife's on board with me as well. So, you know, we might do one or two in a daytime, and but they all go to good homes. And because uh, they're very important insects, you know, they're, yeah. they're really, really cool insects. And then, they, of course, they're beneficial not only to us, but the environment and, uh, you know, uh, Mother Earth, if you will. You know, it's just, I, I totally agree with you, uh, JP. You know, I think, uh, you know, bees for me have been, you know, a really fascinating, you know, uh, race of insects. And the fact that they, you know, they, the way they kind of survive, you know, with, with each other and uh, the way it, it all it all operates as a, as a system. You know, I, I speak as someone who has a background in IT. And, uh, you know, so uh, someone who is, uh, you know, who deals with like a CPU and a hard drive and just watching it all kind of all go together. And then you see this uh, box full of bees and you just see that how every single bit of it kind of like operates down from the drones looking after, uh, you know, all the uh, all, all the larvae and you know, things like that. And then seeing, you know, all the, how, where the honey gets stored and uh, what they do with the, uh, you know, with the brood and stuff like that. It's just it's, it's so it's so fascinating to me uh, just watching it all kind of. Uh, kind of kind of function so uh we just got your youtube channel up uh, at the moment so you were talking about uh, uh the, the one that's at the top there that's your one of your bee yards uh, i believe on the on the top of the that's, screen yeah that's my main bee yard these days um 
I used to have several, but uh, you know, I've gotten a little older and gotten busier. And so um, I had to give up on a lot of the B yards. And so I'm down really to this one and, and another one. So um, I keep right now I'm running between 25 and say 35 colonies, give or take, because, you know, I add some and uh, then I sell some on, and then I get rid of some. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of my videos you'll see titled uh, under the, the Bickering and Beekeepers. And I got my good friend, uh, call him Shawi. Shawi. Yeah, he's uh, Bruce Shawroth is his name, and uh, I call him my my German Cajun buddy, <laughs> and uh, he's he's about forty minutes uh, west of me, and he lives in a town of Paulina, but he he's a caretaker of about three thousand acres. Used to be a whole lot more acres than that, uh, but the landowner donated some of that land to the to the fisheries department. But uh, I donate a lot of these to Shawi. He's got more time to to manage them than I do. So uh, I'm happy to, to do that. He's happy to take them. And uh, the landowner's uh, son uh, has some convenience stores, so he stocks them with honey and stuff too. So it's a win-win all the way around, you know? That's really so get, cool. I to see my buddy a couple of times a year. and I mean, I'm sorry, a couple of times a week. and Load him up and the, the bees go to good homes. And of course, I, you know, on a local level, I got people calling me, you know, that have they might have lost their queen or, you know, something happened. So I'm able to assist them, you know? Yeah. But, so, I mean, uh, I thought we could talk about like, all the situations you uh, you deal with because, uh, I mean, I've also saw many of your videos and uh, I urge everyone to go find JP the Bee Man on YouTube and uh, go look at like Because, you know, you, you take them out of everything, don't you? I mean, you've taken them out of uh, truck tires, birdhouses. I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's quite surprising to see that a queen and their swarm would take you know the most bizarre of places and uh, I mean do is there a type of mentality that uh, you know um, swarms and bees have towards like really awkward spaces or is it just uh, do they just kind of like uh, find just any old place and just say oh yeah we'll just set up here I mean what's the thinking behind what they do. <laughs> You know, that's funny. I wish I knew the exact answer to that, you know, but I, I laugh at that sometimes too. I'm, you know, it's, sometimes I almost wonder if they're, they're picking, you know, the most challenging spots to, to have, you know, for me to have to deal with. But I think it what it is, is, uh, you know, we just have so many of them. I think sometimes you're just looking for a spot, you know, to colonize and they're just not very picky. You know, 99% of the time they're looking for a void space that, that's dark and enclosed and has a little opening and then one percent of the time or so they defy all that and they build completely out in the open you know on like the side of a building or attached to an eave or a tree branch or something like that a, a barbecue pit uh you know you, you name it but uh yeah um probably the you know i get asked that question you know what's the weirdest place you ever removed bees from and uh well um i got a call from a jewish mausoleum years ago and they were uh, they were moving a casket, and uh, they removed the granite facing, and then they had this, this thin piece of plastic behind that, and then when they removed that, there was a beehive on the top left, right next to the casket. So they called me in, and while I was remo removing the thing, you know, I've got that casket right in front of me, and of course a lot of people asking, well, you know, find out if the deceased, you know, was a beekeeper. I never did get that answer, but uh, that that was definitely by far the strangest. You know, uh, situation of running. <laughs> really, oh, I mean, they, they really. I mean, uh, if I'm if I'm not familiar entirely with uh, Jewish traditions, but I mean, uh, you would have had to have got that uh, uh, that swarm of bees off pretty quick because uh, you have to. Uh, don't they have to bury their uh, their dead at a particular point, uh, like within a certain time frame after the after the person's deceased? So uh, would you have had to work pretty quickly in that scenario? Yeah, they had things put on hold for about a day. So, you know, I got uh, in yeah. there and, uh, you know, I had my little, my bee box and uh, it was all right in front of me. So I was able to, you know, put the box down, you know, within a couple of feet of where I was working and, and get the queen and transfer comb. And, and by, by nightfall, they'd all, you know, resituated into the, the domestic setup. And that's when I took them out of there, put them in my truck and went on about my business. And they went on about their business. Yeah, I believe in your latest video, and uh, I'm just gonna let me send a quick, uh, quick look for it because uh, it's just uh, trying to. I believe you had to uh, in, in one of them. Uh, I believe that was two weeks ago. You had to remove bees from your porch step, and you had to yeah. dig the entire thing out. 
it actually wasn't my porch step. It, it was uh, it was a, a couple uh, that resides in, in, in probably about 25 minutes uh, from me in the town of Gentilly. And um, they were redo redoing their steps and the, and the, uh, the driveway. And so behind the steps, right before the main landing, there, there was a colony. And they'd probably been there maybe about anywhere from four to six weeks, if I had a guess. So um, they were going to remove these steps anyway, just to be perfectly clear with that, because I've uh -huh. had some comments saying, wow, that, that had to cost thousands of dollars, you know. Why didn't you just do this or that? It's like, look, I had to the extreme. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Right. You know, all that to remove that hive, you know, I would have done this. Well, guess what? The, the customers, that's what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to remove the bees, but they were redoing the steps anyway. Yeah, so, it was yeah. a bad day as well, because you can see that it was a massive rainfall, uh, I think, at the time you were doing it, too. So, Yeah, we had, we had a pickup. It was on a Saturday we started, and I was just with this guy. And, and um, I mean, he worked for f over four hours uh with a jackhammer, found out I'm sitting here watching this guy, and I'm like, how old a fellow are you? He's like, oh, I'm 69 years old. I'm like, my God, you know, I, I could only hope to be in that good of shape when I'm 69. But uh, <laughs> Monday, we picked it back up, and he had a bobcat, and uh, I mean, it was like serious demolition. I mean, this thing was built like Fort Knox, you know. So we're finally able <laughs> you know, pull the steps away so we could, uh, you know, put the, put the hive in a domestic setup. You know? <laughs> a lot of work for you know, to move those bees. I hope they appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I imagine the, uh, imagine those bees were pretty, uh, uh, weren't entirely thrilled with their, uh, their home pretty much being upheaved. And, uh, I think you mentioned, uh, I think at the end of the video that they had settled down, uh, after that. And, uh, after you, after all had been said and done. Yeah. You, you can't blame them for, you know, being a little bit uh, on edge considering everything that we put them through, you know, with all the, crazy vibrations, you know, with the jackhammer and all that, you know, bees don't hear like we do. They pick up on vibrations. And so that, but the worst thing you could do is some of the stuff that we had to do to, to access where they were. So, uh, you know, in the scheme of things, I, you know, I don't blame, I never blame them. You know what I mean? No. It's like, uh, you know, when I'm doing a performing a bee removal, it's, you know, it's like somebody knocks on your door at 3 a.m., you know, and, <laughs> and uh, actually bust your door down at 3 a.m. And it's like, you got to go. You know, it's like, <laughs> wait, you know, no warning, nothing, you know, so. Yeah. But it's also, it's, uh, I mean, once you get them out in the open, I mean, I mean, I remember you saying in one of your previous videos before that, you know, if they're, once they're open, uh, once they're open, they, uh, you said they, they tend to turn like into kind of like a, like a homeless guy. They uh, like, you know, they'd kind of be nice to whoever they, uh, they can be, uh, I believe, uh, in one, one thing you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I usually mention that in regards to swarms a lot of times, actually, because, uh, you know, swarm is, is, you know, that leaves the parent colony, you know, and they, they take flight and they usually go rest somewhere like uh, a tree branch or something like that from anywhere from, say, one to three days. And so that's why you can go up to them usually and, and shake them into a box, uh, you know, whether it be a temporary setup or actual, you know, domestic setup and Usually when you shake them, you know, they usually are pretty gentle. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing to defend. You know, it's, it's like uh, if you get your house painted, you, all your furniture's out of there. And, uh, you know, you tell the painters, well, the back door is open. But once everything's furnished, you know, you got your lawnmower and all this stuff. And you got to meet them over there. So, but, uh, you know, when it's just a swarm, it's just bees. And so they uh, are actually pretty, pretty gentle, pretty humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the uh, footage I'm looking at now is uh, you removing by hand uh, from this this side of this car, and uh, I mean are they also like uh, I think they also look they like warm places as well because uh, I'd imagine you know that car there probably had been you know driving uh, pretty long probably pretty pretty long time and uh, so would they have uh, probably selected that uh, particular vehicle if uh, if it was like a warm place for them to kind of stay in that and uh... well. Uh... Actually, um, that I don't know how long that vehicle could have been sitting there. The, the, the for a little while, probably. The, the guy really uh, he went out getting his his vehicle to, to leave for work that day, and uh, there was just big old swamp, probably you know like eighteen thousand bees, you know, piled up on his bumper. And uh, so somebody said, "We'll call the bee guy." You know, don't, don't do anything rash. Was which I was really glad they didn't do that. Uh, obviously, the queen wound up in the wheel well. 
and I was able to get her. And once I caged her and put her in the setup, then they, they uh, and I used a little smoke and a little uh, repellent just to, to, to get them off of that spot and forced them to orient, you know, into the domestic setup. And once, once they did that, the guy could uh, get on his way, you know, but uh, they're not real picky really where they land uh, when they're going to rest. They're really not that picky. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to talk about the queen uh, a little bit because, uh, I mean, she's obviously the, the vital part of, uh, of of a swarm. And uh, also because, you know, if, they, if they're in a situation where they can't generate any more queens, it's uh, obviously it's a uh, kind of doomsday for them as well so uh, i mean uh, is it quite an uh, would you say it's quite an alarming situation when you have a swarm you can't find the queen and uh, you know you've got these bees there because is there a, a problem when a queen's been away from their swarm for quite a considerable amount of time well um you you, you when you have a situation where you just bees the the, the queen is absolutely integral to their survival, you know, without any resources for them to make a new queen, which would be like uh, in an established colony where they have comb built and cells where the queens laid eggs. You know, if you were to take that queen out or something happened to her, they can actually make a new queen from the young larvae that, that you know, she that from the eggs that she laid. So when it's just a swarm, there are no resources. Uh, I had a lady call me uh, about a week and a half ago, and she had a ceram- ceramic kangaroo that had bees. They, there was a swarm. They flew into the pouch of the kangaroo. The thing was hollow, and they went up, you know, attached comb to the underside of the head, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she called me. She says, look, I got bees in my kangaroo. Can you come get them out of my kangaroo? How <laughs> <laughs> oh, come get bees out your kangaroo? So she says, look, uh, you know, I don't want to destroy it. I want to keep it intact. I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, I said, well, when did you start noticing these bees? She said, oh, I just noticed them. They, they couldn't have been here but a couple of days. Well, long story short, you know, unless people actually watch the swarm move in, they really have no idea how long they've been there, you know, because they're just kind of out of sight, out of mind, believe it or not. You have a few flying back and forth, and they just don't realize. And these, these bees and this lady's kangaroo have probably been there about a couple of months. So what happened was I, I turned the kangaroo on its side and uh, I, I had to actually reach in and try to fish the comb sections out. Well, long story short, um, they, they really weren't acting like I wanted them to, to, to act. And so I, I left the, the, the kangaroo, I mean, uh, the domestic setup. What I wound up doing is I put this domestic setup right where the kangaroo was. And uh, I used a loose smoke repellent, hoping that they would run out of the kangaroo and go into the domestic setup. Because, you know, bees have terrific memories and they, they lock in to where home is. And so by moving the kangaroo and putting the domestic setup where the kangaroo was, you know, you're, the bees are more inclined to orient. But they never did that. Uh, when I went back the next day, they were clustered all on the kangaroo. So I'm like, hmm. I'm like, okay, so... You know, something must have happened to the queen. So I, um, I told the lady, I said, look, I have a, I have a queen from a swarm I caught. I'm going to go run and get that queen. It wasn't a big, big swarm. Okay. So, and I went and got the queen and I had her in my little, what I call a hair clip queen catcher. Looks just like a woman's hair clip. And uh, the queen can't get out, but the other bees can get in and out to tend to her. So I got out my truck and, and the lady was inside and, I got this thing in my hand. The bee stuck landing on my hand. And uh, that's when I knew right then and there that they were definitely queenless. And so I called her up and I said, look, come on outside. Well, while we did, you know, 30 second conversation that they're landing on my hand more and more. And I just covered my hands. You can barely even see my hand. And so when I walked up, uh, she, she ran outside. I said, look, I was telling you they're probably queenless. Huh? I said, "Well, here's the proof right here." And so put put that queen inside the box, and the bees they all went in there just almost instantly. So it's, it's always cool to see something like that. They were just looking for their looking for mama. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it was um, with queens. Uh, so I mean, will they? Uh, I mean, is it is it uh, like trial and error with queens sometimes? Because uh, I mean, there's uh, there's times where you know uh, swarms just will not accept queens. Uh, for whatever reason, then there's other times they will. I mean, it's uh, is it always kind of like a you have to play a game of chance to whether they'll actually uh, you know decide to accept the queen in their hive or not? 
you know, usually they're not very picky, but usually when there's not acceptance, it's because of uh, you're introducing a different race of queen. Okay. So it could be like you have a Russian colony and you have a mated queen that's an Italian queen and you wanted to introduce that Italian queen to the, to the Russian bees, they may not accept it. It's not that they, they won't, but you have to be careful, okay, with that whole acceptance thing. So you wouldn't want to direct, direct release that queen. Uh, usually you, you put her in some type of apparatus to where uh, she's got feed and that the, the bees can't get to her. If they don't accept her, they'll try to sting her and kill her. So you, you'll introduce her into the hive. Uh, usually in a short amount of time, they'll know that they're queenless. But some of them are a little bit stubborn more more than others, and it might take them a little bit longer to, to acclimate to a new queen. So when you introduce a new queen, you know, you, you put that new queen in there, and she's caged, and you don't want the bees, generally speaking, to be able to get to her. Um, and then after usually three days or so, they usually have accepted at that point. You could take that cage out and just observe what the bees are doing. If they're covering her, if, they, if they're putting out the little proboscis, the little bee tongues, um, that's that's a, a good sign. That's telling you, hey, look, they're, they're wanting to tend to her. If they're biting at her, literally it looks like they're trying to bite at her. They're acting aggressive. They haven't accepted her yet. You don't want to release her then. No. But, uh, yeah. You got to be careful. Also, uh, with some queens, I've uh, I noticed in some of your videos. Uh, I mean, I don't think this is the one, but uh, there are some uh, queens that you've dealt with that have made the hive uh, pretty aggressive, and so obviously it's made your job, you know, very difficult. And uh, I think as you can see there, you're having to uh, suit up, which you don't particularly like doing. Uh, you know, when when you have to get to that point. I mean. Uh, so, I mean, is it a quite a, a difficult process to then go through requeening bees that have queens that are just, you know, making the, the hive basically go nuts? Uh, well, it, you know, it's definitely a, a genetic thing. You know, half the genetics of the colony come from the queen, half come from the drones that she's mated with, you know. But, you know, the whole uh, turnaround uh, period is, is about six weeks or so when you introduce a new queen um, and you removed, you know, a, a, a queen from genetics that are, are probably aggressive. Now, you know, some of these hives that I removed that, that the bees are aggressive, I don't just automatically pinch the queens, okay, mm. and replace them because uh, they might be going through something. It could be you know, weather related, you know, bees respond to barometric pressure changes, you know, just like we do. And so, um, cause I've, I've been in my bee yards where, you know, everybody was pissy. No matter who you looked at, they were all pissy. It was like, okay, I need to get out of here. You go back in two days later and everybody's fine. Now, what does that have to do with that had to do with the pressure change, but, um, or they're requeening or sometimes they're hungry. You know, I've seen bees where they were just flat out hungry, you know, just like, you know, we get pissy when, when we're hungry, you know, mm. <laughs> it's like, get it, get out of my way. I'm starving, you know, and get a little sandwich in you. And after about an hour, you settle down, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's what that's about. Uh, okay. Then cool. So, uh, I mean, uh, tell you what, I think, uh, you know, you and I have, uh, something in common. I think we both like Chinese food, don't we? <laughs> who doesn't like Chinese food, right? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Because uh, uh, you do Chinese buffet with Shawi uh, and uh, Yappy, I believe. And uh, Joe. that's right. Well, you know, the good thing about Chinese buffets is, uh, you, you know, you walk in and you you, you sit down, and you're eating in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. And uh, well, I have a Chinese restaurant down down where I live. We, me and my family, have been going there for years, and uh, so it's. Uh, it's really nice just to have a place where you can just kind of like, you know, get a sweet and sour and, uh, you know, get some lemon chicken or something like that. You know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all good. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, anyway, um, I thought, so uh, let's take a, I mean, before we take a break, uh, just while we, uh, while I, uh, get some of the stuff going, I just want to let everybody know, uh, we're going to be doing something really exciting soon. Uh, I'm going to be going on tour. 
Uh, I'm going to be going, uh, this is the Never Lose Hope Tour. It's uh, for all you Hey Arnold fans who uh, will uh, want to either meet me. I'm actually going to be uh, got some dates going up. Uh, I'm, my first date's going to be in London. I'm going to be at uh, the uh, MCM Com- London Comic Con. Uh, that's going to be on the 8th, 28th of October. And so if you want to uh, come come around with me, uh, go see the exhibits, go see, uh, go meet some people and, uh, you know, just uh, have some fun between 12 and 1, then I'm up for doing that. And then in Manchester, I'm going to be at the uh, the Stopboard Unleashed uh, event at Stopboard County Football Ground. Uh, that's going to be at the uh, 5th of November, and uh, that's uh, for all you Hey Arnold fans as well, if you want to meet me there. And then the last stop of our tour is going to be in Birmingham, which is uh, going to be at the uh, NEC. And so if you want to meet me there, that's the 18th of November. Uh, most, I think some of these are Saturdays, but I think one of them, I think, is a Sunday. Oh, yeah, the uh, Manchester one's a Sunday, but the other two are Saturdays. So uh, if you want to meet me down there, those are the dates. They're on the Aaron Meta Show uh, Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash Aaron Meta Show. So uh, that's uh, up there, all good as well. So uh, if you want to meet me there, then those are the dates, and uh, that's uh, that's what we'll do. So, uh, uh, JP, do you want to react to a video? Sure. What else sure. you Okay, then let's uh, I had this one lined up, and uh, now all of a sudden it's uh, this is. Uh, I was going to find it. It's uh, this is our. Uh, Okay, so this is going to be uh, average North Korean versus average South Korean, and this is uh, a people's comparison, so uh, let's take a look at this. So far in our shows featuring the average person, we focused on Europe and North America. Today we're heading to Asia to compare what could be called a flourishing nation with a country that is usually given the epithet of secret state. The two countries sit side by side, and yet today they share very little in common. One nation is viewed as a threat to Western democratic capitalist values, and the other an ally and exponent of those values. Separated by a demilitarized zone, it's not often that the global public gets to see what happens north of the border. Even when we are given a glimpse inside the secretive nation, we are often told the reality was only a show, propaganda. Today we're going to take a look inside, in this episode of the Infographic Show, the average North Korean versus the average South Korean. Don't forget to subscribe and click the bell button so that you can be part of our notification squad. According to a fact sheet created by the Korean Economic Institute of America, South Korea's 51 million people are currently living in the 13th largest economy in the world based on purchasing power parity. That number is $1.93 trillion. Its GDP is $1.4 trillion, putting South Korea in 11th place in the world for GDP. North Korea's 25 million people will not be enjoying an economic boon anytime soon. Its GDP, according to the CIA Factbook, was $25 billion in 2015. Some sources say this number is lower. The country's main industries are agriculture, mining, fishing, and the services, while South Korea's major industries cover more modern sectors such as electronics, automotive, shipbuilding, and petrochemicals. I could probably imagine the, uh, the the sanctions now that have been put on North Korea. I could imagine they're not going to you know improve anytime soon. Like they've like they've pretty much uh, lost one billion dollars now to their economy because of those rockets they're launching into the air. So it's uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. I don't know. Yeah. What this means in terms of wealth per capita? Well, you can probably figure that out. The average wage in South Korea in 2016, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, was just over 32,000 US dollars a year. This was taken by calculating the total wage bill in the country by the number of full-time employees. As the North Korean government doesn't publish its salaries, it's hard to know exactly what people get paid. According to North Korean Economy Watch, a high-paid official in the country could earn as much as $1,000 a month. In an article published in NPR, it was said many talented North Koreans working in good factory jobs were earning around $62 per month. It also said the workers were doing relatively okay, and some were earning $100 per month. This JP, would you work for $62 a month? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it would all depend on the situation, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know if I would, to be honest. This is certainly good when compared to the bottom rung of the ladder, with some reports saying many North Koreans earned as little as 2 or $3 a month. If that is the case, how do they survive on such meager wages? For starters, North Korea claims that it is the world's only tax-free country, celebrating Tax Abolition Day on April 1st. Even if that's true... Uh, doesn't that kind of make a lot of sense of why North Korea is quite dilapidated in some places, though? If they're not spending any... They're not, like, taxing anyone and spending any money on their infrastructure? Like, you know, it's just... it's uh, Yeah, that makes... Uh, okay. Well, yeah. 
True, many studies tell us that a large number of North Koreans battle with poverty. A CUNY report stated that much of the population has to live on corn and kimchi and doesn't even have fuel to cook with. The upside, if it can be seen that way, is that all North Korean property is owned by the government. North Koreans are given a place to live, but the condition of that place will depend on what work you do and what rank you hold. Your social status and which part of the country you live in will also factor. This could mean getting a fairly decent apartment or living in a place heated by an open fire that does not have a flushing toilet or reliable electricity. Education is also free, and North Korea says it has a national literacy rate of 100% for children 15 or over. Well, I mean, this is also the country that tells us that uh, Kim Jong-un once uh, got nine holes in one in a golf round, so, I mean, let's, uh, let's take that with like a gallon of salt. Healthcare is free, although according to various articles, it is lacking. This is because of underfunding, which is partly due to sanctions and a struggling economy. According to one article published in The Guardian, sick people were using crystal meth instead of medical drugs because the former was cheap. What? Cr they're using meth to heal their sick? Um, okay. You know, if that's the case, you know, North Korea makes a lot of sense. It's like, you know, the, the how crazy that country is, it's like, if they're, if the, I would say a good significant of the population are all high on meth, you know, it, that makes a, unbelievable, yeah, that's, that's, that's mind-boggling, man. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we've had enough of this, to be honest with you, I'm just, uh, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll just leave it at that. Good, great, okay, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, North Koreans are yeah, North Koreans are high on meth. That's uh, that's a new one for me. Um, so anyway, we've uh, that's enough of our break. Uh, so let's get back to uh, let's get back to what you uh, like to do best. And uh, so uh, um, let's talk about. I mean, you talked about you know exterminating bees in the past, and uh, you know there's one video here which I really wanted to uh, to get into, and this is a this is one's a pretty big horror show. Uh, to uh, this is this is the one called you called Honey I mean, Bee Nightmare. This is a vacant building, but hang on a second. Uh, let's put it up for everyone here. Here we go. So you 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 walked into this situation, and uh, you know you see all these you see all these dead bees, and you just see what's happened. I mean, uh, could you? I don't know if you could talk us through. You know what was going through your mind. Wow, that was what was going through my mind. Um, basically, I think the, the the powers that be had different employees going over there to try to deal with the situation and obviously no one was having any luck and uh the situation obviously was just out of hand and um you know beginning of the video i showed us like six cans of spray and foam and stuff that they you know try to eradicate these things with seal up holes whatever you know bees were falling out of the ceiling right by the front door when, when you open the door, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You know, dead bees actually stink pretty badly, uh, kind of like rotten shrimp, okay? So when I walked in, I mean, it, it stunk, uh, you know, just terrible odor, dead bees everywhere. It was just, and that's why I titled, you know, the video, Honey Bee Nightmare. That's exactly, you know, what it, what it was. You know, but, well, uh, imagine if someone was actually living in this place. And uh, this all went down. It's like, you know, it's like this. Uh, could someone have been severely injured in this situation? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, somebody would have obviously gone, gone to court over this. I mean, there's, there's, there's just no, no way you can be that irresponsible. But I do get calls periodically, you know, like this, you know, where the handyman or the maintenance guy or the lawn guy, you know, sees bees going in and out of a little hole. I, I had a, a little elderly lady a couple of years ago and, and uh, a, a guy that probably meant well, he started spraying all up inside the little hole that the bees were entering. The bees had been there in a while for some time and she had, you know, if they can't get out, they're going to get in if they can. And she had bees all up inside her house. And so uh, I had to go over there and, and, and help her with that. You know, it was just an absolute mess, you know. But, um, you know, I have I have people who, who do what I do. Uh, I see on social media sometimes they mention, well, somebody sprayed them. You know, I'm charging triple and stuff like that. You know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, it's our role really to educate people because it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. You know, people will grab a can of wasp spray and they – they, you know, out of ignorance. Jesus. So, rather, rather than adding fuel to the fire, 
you know, the best thing to do, like in this, this situation here is I went over and, you know, I cut the ceiling open. I mean, the, the hive was contaminated. I couldn't save the bees, unfortunately, but mm. I was able to at least educate, you know, the, the owners that, you know, you don't, this is obviously, you know, they, they had learned that by then, obviously, but, you know, this is not the approach you want to take. Uh, you know, honeybee colonies can get up in the numbers, you know, way up in the numbers. And if they've been there a while, there's, you know, these little wonderful marvelous insects are horrors, you know, they'll, 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 uh, pack in the honey. So if you, you know, you eradicate a colony, if you're able to do that, because I mean, they're masters of survival and usually it, that's e even easier said than done. Uh, they find ways to survive. And if you are able to eradicate the colony, then you have all this honey that's in the void space. And I'll tell you what happens a lot, like in this one right here, they were between the floors and the honey will drip down on the sheetrock ceiling and the big roaches show up. We have a lot of those down here, but they'll, they'll show up and they'll literally eat the sheetrock down to the paper mm. and there's nothing there. So it has to be open anyway at some point. But in the meantime, you know, you got this unbelievable population escalation of, of these big, big roaches. So there's definitely proper ways of doing things. And uh, this is a, this video was a perfect example of what not to do. Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, just looking at that whole situation, you know, it's like if I, if I looked at that and, uh, knew what, what the consequences would be, you know, and I would say this video here that we, that we just saw, you know, if anyone ever turned around to me now and said, you know, Oh, you know, we got some bees, maybe we should start spraying. He'd be like, no, 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 no. Right. Just look at the video. <laughs> look at, look at the video. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, I really hope one day that it doesn't come to a situation where it's like, you know, look at this video and look what can happen if you do this, you know, so, you know, so horribly. So, uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll move away from that. But, uh, this, this, this one I find interesting because, uh, you can spot Queens now pretty, pretty well. And, uh, I'm just, uh, wondering, so, uh, I mean, it's for anyone who's kind of like new to, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, getting a queen. I mean, uh, what's, uh, uh how do you identify uh, what what a what a queen looks like? Well, I don't look for an individual bee. Okay, you, you can't, you know, because there's a lot of them, you know, on in, on the those comb sections. So you kind of look at the big picture. You know, you're looking for a, a bee that's that's uh, abdomen is longer. Okay, uh, but before you even try to single out a queen, like I said, you're looking at the big picture. And, you know, she's royalty. So, you know, she, she doesn't feed herself. She doesn't groom herself. They do everything for her. So generally speaking, bees will be calmer where she is or where she was recently. And they usually will form uh, a little uh, circle. It could be a, 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 a semi-circle. It could be a full circle. And uh, those particular bees that will be facing her we, we refer to that as her retinue. Those are the ones that are currently taking care of her. So you're kind of glancing and you're looking for that little, that little semicircle or, you know, it could even be a few bees and, and you're looking for that. When you find this little circle of bees, she'll usually be right there. But her abdomen, a mated queen's abdomen is anywhere from, I, I guess, 20 to maybe 30% longer than a, a worker bee's abdomen. Usually it's it's a more of a solid color, not always, but um, and then uh, the she's got a black spot on top of her thorax. The worker bees also have that that spot, but hers is larger and it's it's smoother. It's not as hairy. So those are some of the things you look for. Also, queens move slower usually; they're more graceful. So, but you know, after doing this for so long, you just when you're going into colonies you kind of get a feel, you know, and she does stand out, believe it or not. So when you, when you see her, you see her. Mm -hmm. This one, uh, this was you and, uh, Emil, uh, five years ago. And this is actually the, uh, the giant, uh, 35, uh, five foot up, um, uh, job that you did, uh, with a huge amount of bees. And, uh, I wonder if you could talk us through, uh, through that because you're obviously very high up and obviously there was a lot of bees to deal with. And so, uh, what was it like on that day? <laughs> well, the main thing I remember about 
that colony is really aggravated. Okay, they they were pretty pretty pissed, uh, if I could say that. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, anyway, architecturally, I mean, they just built this beautiful configuration on on a a window that was probably, if memory serves me right, maybe 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 three and a half to four feet by six feet. Okay, in length, and uh, it was a boarded up window. And so it had this big piece of plywood over the window and it's like 30, 35 feet up, you know, above the sidewalk. So ran to the left and, uh, and Emil and I, we, we call Emil, uh, uh, monkey man. That's his nickname. Cause, mm -hmm. uh, we, we can talk about that another time if you want, but, uh, he's not afraid of heights and I've seen him, you know, get up on tree branches, just like a monkey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, he and I went up and we, we pulled that plywood off and, uh, you know, we just got this beautiful, you know, it's actually, it's, it, it's a shame we even had it removed that, that colony, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't make those calls. You know, I have a lot of people that, that mention that when they, they look at all the different places that I remove bees from, they're like, why can't you just leave? And I'm like, I agree. I agree. <laughs> just leave it. But Hey, you know, uh, you know, you, you can't leave them. There's a number of reasons why you can't do that. And, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons, of course, maybe somebody's getting stung or it's interfering with, you know, daily, act, you know, normal activities. But uh, if you notice, uh, if you do watch this video, um, you'll notice that um, the, the hive is actually like two, let's say, maybe three layers of comb thick. So if you look Whoa. at that layer of comb that's actually on the window, okay, yeah. you might be thinking, well, how can they... You know, tented the the comb that's on the back side of the window. But when you look, you can see these little channels, channels, little gaps here and there. And they they deliberately left those holes, okay, so that they can get through those holes to tend to the back side of the comb between the window and and the, the comb that they built the built on that that window, which uh, is pretty ingenious when you think about it. Hmm. But uh, they definitely have their little system down, but, yeah. uh, yeah, that was one of these all day type of things. And, uh, one I'll never forget because the bees were a little bit pissy, but just a, a beautiful configuration. Yeah. It must, it must've been really awkward to cut as well, because I mean, you can't just, uh, you know, like you just got any old square out, can you? You have to you have to have it orientated properly for them to kind of like, you know, live within the, uh, the environment that you want to put them in. Right. I always try to transfer the comb sections, you know, how they were configured uh, in, the, in the hive. I try to orient them the same way inside of the domestic setup, in, in the frames, if you will. So, you know, some of these, these colonies in, that are in, say, vertical void spaces, some of the comb sections are, like, long and skinny, and so... You know, it's it's tempting to, to cut the comb sections and put them in horizontally, but that's not how they were configured directionally in the, the, the you know, how, how the bees did it. So if you, I've, I've never put it to the test, but uh, just from feedback from other people, if you do uh, orient them in a different uh, position, Apparently, the, you know, the brood will hatch out, but they won't reuse it for brood. They'll use it maybe for honey storage. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the, there's a reason why they do the things that they do. And so uh, I like to go ahead and, and uh, just try to mimic uh, as, as closely as possible, you know, how they had, you know, built built uh, their comb sections and how they had oriented them. Just make, make sense to, made sense to them. So why not uh, do it the way they did it? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to talk about your kind of your videos in general, really, because uh, the, one, the one thing that drove me to your channel was uh, I've been watching for quite a few years and uh, I just really like this the kind of like this uh, relaxing atmosphere that you kind of build around just, you know, removing bees from uh, where from wherever you might be removing them. And uh, so, and, you know, I, I always feel like, uh, you know, when I'm doing the show and, uh, you know, I'm having to do like some, like some production stuff and I know it's going to take me some time. I always stick on one of your videos and just have it like playing like on the side. So, because it's kind of nice to kind of like, uh, it feels like having a work colleague, you know, it's, uh, it's like, uh, you know, it's, uh, to see someone like doing something on one side and I'm just kind of getting busy with my other. It kind of makes me feel like I want to work. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's really cool so uh I mean, uh, how many, uh, I mean, you do you like uh, record, vid- you know, like some videos in advance and then you start slowly like releasing them or, uh, I mean, how's this, uh, or is it like you you get a video a week and then you post it that week? Uh, how does it, how, how do you usually post? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I just released a couple of videos and, and uh, I had a little hiatus, you know, just life being busy and stuff and, and um but uh, generally, generally speaking, I'm on no real schedule with that. Uh, although, you know, my viewers would probably want to watch a video a day. But, uh, you know, life just gets hectic and, and it, it, it's hard to put them out like you really want to. But I have I have footage from, you know, three years ago. You know, I, I did one the other day that uh, I uh, put together a video and I, I, I intended to do so. But uh you know, it was a swarm that had moved into a lady's house. In fact, I think it was the last video I put out. And uh, that was two years ago. And they moved into her house. And uh, the, the day before I showed up, and she watched it move in. And um, I was able to run them out. Not that day, but the, the next day. I went back in the morning on a Sunday, in fact. And I was able to run them out. And um, it the swarm had two queens. And uh, they wound up killing one queen. And because uh, they, I had her caged inside the domestic setup. They they left the box and uh, were uh, regrouping on a little uh, rose bush. And I'm like, okay, that's what's going on. They must have another queen. And they wound up killing the one that I that had caged. And then uh, uh-huh. once they grouped up again and I shook them, I got the, I got the opportunity to see that other queen. She was larger, and they they really took well to her. But uh, it was kind of neat how it, it all came together. But, uh, you know, this was stuff like, like I said, that, that transpired, you know, two years ago. But, um, you know, I always tell people you, you can never have too much footage, maybe not enough, you know, but, uh, you know, no such thing as too much. You know, you never know when uh, that might come in handy or you, you have an opportunity, you know, so. Yeah. You know. How uh, you know, oh. with bees? How aware are they of where, of their surroundings? I mean, you know, if you like, if you uh, uh, walk up to uh, you know, walk up to a beehive, like, will one bee kind of like you know find you and then tell the rest of the bees that you know you happen to be there, or is it just kind of like what's what's relevant to them, like you know, like flowers and you know how they're going to survive? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure some of that is uh, you know would be speculation on my part, but. Um... I, th- I think they they do have a sense of their surrounding and, and, and what, what's going on. And, and if you fit in to their surroundings, I, I think for the most part, they kind of ignore you. They might they might check you out, but they they're accepting. And um, then there's times where they're not accepting. And that same calling might not accept, you know, anything around their area. It could pets, uh, you know, things like that, birds, uh but, um, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, Italian honeybees, and they have a propensity to be on the more gentle side. Um, so um, usually they'll, they'll let you kind of get right up in there, and, um, you know, they don't really bother, mess with you too much. Um, but, I'll, you know, people ask me, though, well, well you know, what, what is it? Uh, why don't they sting you? But it, it's a little more... Than, than just genetics. I, I think also it has something to do with you. Um, like your, your sense, your, your, your body odor, they may like how you smell. They may not. And, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, what you're putting on your body or say deodorant, for example, uh, I had a guy call me and, and uh, actually set him up with some bees, but he had two colonies uh, before that, before he even called me and uh, went over there and, looked at his bees and set him up with some other ones. And he called me like a year later and he says, look, I, I got my, my two original hives. He says, I just can't get near them. You know, he says, uh, can you come in and give me a hand and maybe look at them, go through them with me. And so I'm like, no problem. So I went out there and I was in shorts and a t-shirt and went through both colonies and both of them were in about three, four boxes. And, um, you know, they didn't bother me. They, they stung him a little bit. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, look, let me, he says, man, I just don't understand this. I said, well, let me ask you a few questions. I said, are you wearing, 
Senate deodorant right now. I said, yes. I said, do you have cologne on? He says, yes. I said, okay. I said, well, I have unscented deodorant on right now, and I never wear cologne around bees because they, you know, I told them, I said, they may or may not like, you know, how you're smelling. You know, at the very least, if you're going to do that, you know, go ahead and take a smoke bath. Take your smoker and smoke yourself down. And uh, he, had, he hasn't had a problem since that I know of. <laughs> so I guess they don't like being over-impressed then. What's that? I guess they don't like being over-impressed, you know, like wearing cologne and like aftershave and things like that, you know. I mean, they, they may absolutely love, you know, uh, a particular odor, but they may hate it too. So, <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they have a, a, a really uncanny sense of smell. I mean, they can smell better than the mosquitoes can smell. Oh, yeah. and, you know, mosquitoes, you know, they're attracted to the CO2 we breathe out, you know. So, and bees can smell better than mosquitoes. So, yeah, you want to want to watch that a, a little bit. Yeah, bee sense is actually interesting because uh, there's uh, I, I keep forgetting the difference between they they say they let out like uh, a sense of like lemongrass oil and uh, that smells like lemongrass oil, and then there's another one they release that smells like bananas. I mean, what's the uh, which what you know when they release a scent, what what's what do they tell you? Well. Well, they, they tell me something, and, and, of course, they're communicating with each other more than anything. But um, So we have a swarm on a tree branch, and we shake that swarm into a, a, a domestic setup. And uh, the bees will drop down, and they you think they, well, they'll just fly out. But what they do, they actually drop down, they spread out, and they start running up the sides of that box, and they put their little rear ends up, and they start fanning. And what they're doing, they have a little gland right before the tip of the abdomen called the nasanol gland. And they're in that situation, they're reorienting. They're basically, because they're highly social, they're basically, they're, when they put that, that orientating pheromone out, that smells a lot like lemongrass. So they're basically telling the, the rest of them, hey, look, this is the spot. We're digging this spot. And uh, they're, they're communicating. Now, when they're in a defensive mode and they, they say one or two stings you, they'll put out uh, a different type of pheromone, an alarm pheromone, and that one smells, it does smell uh, quite a bit like bananas. And, uh, you know, you don't want to smell that. <laughs> now, when I get when I get stung, what I'll do is I'll scrape the stinger out. You know, you don't want to squeeze it, because if you do, it's kind of like a hypodermic needle. You know, it's got the venom sac, and if you squeeze, uh, well, sometimes, it's, you know, you'll be left with the venom sac. Sometimes you'll just be left with, with the stinger, but if you do have that venom sac and you squeeze it, you're just injecting more venom. Mm. So you want to scrape the stinger out. And then I'll take my smoker and I'll smoke that spot. I've been known to cover it with honey and things like that. Now, if bees are really aggravated, uh, sometimes it doesn't really matter what you do. You, you probably just need to go ahead and suit up. Yeah. I think the last time I was stung, I think, uh, recently was, and uh, I don't keep bees or anything like that. I just, uh, I think I was just generally stung by something. I think it was like right between the, uh, my, uh, my middle finger and my, uh, my, uh, my other finger. And, uh, so it's, uh, you know, I pulled, I just pulled it out and, uh, thankfully it was nothing else came of it. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think I was probably very lucky the last time I was probably stung, but, uh, um, so I should ask you, JP. You probably think you probably think I'm a pussy from you know <laughs> complaining about one sting, but uh, how many times have you been stung? You know, believe it or not, that is the biggest question, the most popular question that that's posed to me. But you know, I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a little logbook, you know, that I've been keeping since I started fooling with bees. <laughs> you know, how many times I've been stung, but. You know, the ants would probably surprise you. Uh, it's probably far less than, than what you'd realize. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, just like the next person, I don't really care to be stung. So, um, you know, I mean, if, if I'm doing, if I'm working bees or removing bees and I'm stung more than a couple of times or so, that that's a lot for me. So ten, 10 times would be like a, a, a lot uh, for somebody like me. So... Now, not all stings are created equal, okay? Mm. Um, it's, and I, I really don't know the answer to this. It's, just, it's speculated in, in the, uh, the beekeeping uh, world. But um, so it, it's, it's usually said that the older bees seem to pack a sting that, that's uh, more vibrant, okay, if you will, uh, like a burning type of sting. 
So, uh, and then later on in the year, I noticed like this time of the year, the stings, uh, even on gentle colonies, when you get stung, it's, it'll, it'll burn the heck out of you. So not all stings are created equal. The, the, the burning type is what I call them. You know, if, if I get five from the burning, really burning type stings, I'll suit up. Whereas if it's just a red, regular, ordinary run of the mill sting, you know, I could probably, you know, take 20, 25, but honestly, the most things I've ever taken that I can recall, and this was years ago in Lafitte, Louisiana, uh, was about 21 stings, I remember. And no, uh, no. I had to suit up fully. And uh, these bees were so mean that um, I couldn't take my veil off unless I was three blocks down the street. Oh, no. I had my nephew with me that day helping me. And that was the last time he helped me with bees, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but, but uh, I think the last time I heard a story like that was when uh, I think uh, there was, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a 628 Dirt Rooster, uh, who uh, also has a channel, and uh, he, was, I think him and uh, I think his dad was dealing with a, uh, a yellow jacket's nest, and uh, every time he was, uh, you know, confronting them, he had to pretty much walk, like, round the block to uh, basically get stop the yellow jackets from, like, you know, attacking him and stuff. So, uh, you know, I think, and uh, they weren't even bees, so, you know, they were pretty... Uh, pretty that's pretty nasty in itself so uh yeah uh so i mean uh i'm just looking at the time and uh, we've reached our uh reached our hour points and uh so uh i just want to ask uh jp i mean uh is there anything uh, i mean i would like to actually talk about um you know some of the uh, i've heard about some of the stories about uh bees uh being in somewhat trouble from like uh you know having uh you know with like with with uh it's like there's like a genetic disorder that they i think some of them have seemed to have uh started like hives started developing and they started they started quite collapsing hives and that i mean uh, how uh, how problematic is that and have you seen any evidence of uh, of that in your time that you've been dealing with bees well you know bees they have a couple of parasites you know that that um can can weaken them uh, the, the main one would be the varroa mite okay mm. but um now the whole thing with um uh, you know, colony collapse is what they call it. My, my take on it, and I have seen the classic classic symptoms of it, what they're, what they're claiming are the classic symptoms, okay? And I've seen that in the town of Macon, Mississippi. I had a buddy that lived there, and we had annual get-togethers there. We had nine of them. And his bees were always kind of uh, having difficulties. And the last couple of years, we'd, we'd seen the telltale signs of it. But this is the thing, okay? So his his area was surrounded by soybean and cotton. And in a weekend, you could watch two planes and even a helicopter fly over crops, you know, aerial, aerially spraying these crops. So, and there's a lot of people, if you look at it, there's a lot of evidence that points towards colony collapse. You know, one of the big triggers is being pesticide poisoning. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I happen to agree with that. But the backyard beekeeper, the hobbyist beekeeper, well, for the most part, you don't really hear a lot of that. You know, it's usually the commercial, the, the uh, migratory beekeepers that are having real problems because their bees are being kept on or near big agriculture. Okay. And what happens with big agriculture? Well, you see all the spraying, you know. So I think there's a different, definite correlation there. Yeah. You think uh, there needs to be more awareness made of pesticides and uh, some of the stuff that's affecting bees? Uh, do you think uh, there needs to be there needs to be far more to be done to kind of deal with that situation? Uh, yeah, I mean you can, you can never have too much awareness, you know, when 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 pesticides are applied. You know, I mean, I mean you'd you'd, you'd think it's you know common sense, but uh, you know whatever product you use, and even in your home, you know, you look at that label and use you know. Do what that label is telling you to do, you know, and I think, you know, when you're applying products to crops outside, you know, unfortunately, you know, you, you have uh, some challenges, you know, with the elements, you know, certain products should be applied when, you know, it's above, say, you know, 10 knots, uh, you know, wind wise, or if it's about to rain, you know, you can have issues with, you know, runoff and things like that. So, um, yeah, you just, you know, you need to be smart about that or, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a there's a saying, he never said it, but you hear it every now and then, that uh, Albert Einstein said that if the bees disappeared, that the uh, people would disappear in four years. 
But uh, now honeybees are not indigenous to North America. Okay, so we've we've you know, we have we have had other pollinators before that. But the thing is, you know, back then we didn't have the people we had. You know, you know, bees were brought into to uh, North America in the 1620s, and we didn't have the people we have now. So now we are pretty dependent on them. You know, so we need to be smart. But if the bees would truly disappearing where they actually maybe even went extinct uh that would be there would be some serious red flags and the finger needs would likely need to be pointed at us because uh if you know they're pretty re resilient little insects okay uh just like everything else that's trying to survive out there but you know we, we just need to be smart when it comes to chemicals you know we really do need to be smart and, and pay attention because uh, they're beneficial insects, and uh, you know we just we gotta. You don't want another, you know, silent spring. Mm -hmm. um, one of the uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, uh, but uh, when we had our uh, we had a we had a terror attack here in uh, here in uh, Manchester, and uh, one of the uh, one of the symbols of hope, would you believe, in uh, in Manchester is actually the uh, is actually the bee, and uh, so I thought that'd probably be a nice. Uh, thing to uh to end on and uh, so this is pretty much our symbol uh pretty much and uh so uh think uh you know uh if you ever hear find yourself in manchester and you ever wonder uh you know maybe you might maybe you like to come down sometime in the united kingdom because you know if you ever want to find someplace uh very bee friendly it definitely will be manchester here in the united kingdom because uh it's, it's been kind of a our symbol of hope since uh you know the tragic events that took place in the manchester arena so it's uh it's uh probably a nice thing to positive thing to uh kind of finish up on so uh, uh jp uh do you want to uh i mean obviously we've uh, shown uh, videos from your uh from your from your channel and uh i was wondering if you got anything else uh up in the uh, the pipeline uh in, in any events you want to promote coming up or uh... um no real events at at the moment you know just you know keep tuning into my channel you if you want to step into my world if you will you know with uh, my youtube channel is titled jp the b man i'm on instagram on the jp the b man i do twitter a little bit uh i'm on facebook as well you know we uh we talk about bees and other stuff on there you know but uh um just you know uh be be kind you know be be kind to you know, no pun intended, but uh, or pun intended, but just you know, be kind in, in every facet, you know, to, towards people, but towards animals, and um, you know, as I get older, you know, I, I, I guess I'm getting a little more sensitive to, you know, that just being being kind to the earth, you know, what comes around goes around, you know. Yeah, and never be ashamed to be yourself. <laughs> never. <laughs> Never be to be yourself. <laughs> that joke is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> JP the Bee Man, thank you very much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I've I really enjoyed this this hour, and uh, I think it's going to be really cool uh, to uh, to hear everyone's reaction to it and uh, see how everyone uh, see what everyone talks about. And uh, so uh, that's JP. And uh, if you want to find me, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Aramezza Show. It's uh, at Aramezza Show on Twitter. If you want to find me on Tumblr, it's uh, at it's tumblr.com. Sorry, aramezza.tumblr.com. And also here on YouTube as well. If you want to listen to the audio version of the podcast, uh, you can check us out on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher. You can also find us on Podcasts. You can find us on uh, TuneIn. You can find us on uh, various uh, podcast uh, feeds as well. So uh, definitely check us out there. But uh, that's it for the show. Uh, JP, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I, I enjoyed our session. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. And uh, so from uh, from Louisiana, from JP, from Manchester in the United Kingdom, for, from myself, I'm Aaron Meta. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Take care and bye-bye for now. Bye-bye now. <laughs>